0: everyone i'm joe and i just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for listening to our Lincoln e-free podcast we are grateful for your support to shine the light of christ in every home and business in the lincoln lakes area and beyond in case you're not aware we have a youtube channel which you can find the link in our bio we hope you enjoy this week's message and encourages you and helps you to become the light that god designed you to be with that let's jump in sick I have found that that's most effective is laying in my bed drinking lots of water and watching Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit (laughs) it's my like self um, prescribed path of healing as as long as I can remember and I everyone here has their own self-prescribed cure in a sense when you get the common cold or a flu so I want you guys to talk about that um, so, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, what, what, what do you like when you're sick? Like, do you want a certain type of food or whatever? So, turn around, have a little bit of conversation, and then reel it back in. All right, you guys, come on back. We all go about curing ourselves differently, as we've just kind of figured out here. So, uh, I, I'm interested in what, what you guys had to say. But, I you know... Somewhere along the line, we all kind of fall into maybe a category like uh, we're, the, the, we're the homesteader, herbal healer, where it's all about the natural way, or you're the pill prodigy, where you're just like, give me the quick fix and I'll just take a pill and just keep moving on in life. Or maybe you're a denier, where you just like deny that you're sick and you just keep trucking along and you just try to like mentally overcome what you're feeling. Um, but even if this doesn't describe you, we all have certain methods to try to cure ourselves. But in the end, Most of our methods really don't result in healing. It just really eliminates some of the pain and the relief, um, like a common cold would be. But Jesus describes and displays a different method that offers instant and immediate relief to diseases and even demons that are beyond our control. And so today we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke, and I just want to give you guys some quick facts again about the Gospel of Luke. Here we have an author that is Gentile. He's a physician, a doctor, and he comes with a unique perspective on Jesus's life. And something really interesting is that we have good evidence that he never walked with Jesus in person. We, we know that he likely came to faith after the resurrection, And so he's looking at all the accounts, all the stories of Jesus with a microscopic lens as a doctor and really evaluating this and and rewrites some of these stories with a fresh and his perspective. And last week we talked about Jesus being in his hometown and now we see him walking on to Capernaum. And I can only imagine as a doctor, he is intrigued by Jesus when he confronts people who are sick. And healing are sick and demon-possessed because as any wise doctor would do is examine and observe other doctors methods of healing to improve their own and so he's watching Jesus describing and, and showing a new method of healing that is really just divine it's not from this world so This morning, we're going to continue to look at Jesus as he's beginning his ministry. He was just in Nazareth. Now he's going to Capernaum. And we find here in Luke 4, 31 through 41, is that Jesus does not approve of demons and diseases taking up residence in any body. He shows them the exit. And he does this by not letting them have a voice and also rebuking them with authority. So if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and let's catch up on what Jesus is doing here. I'm going to read three chunks of scripture and just try to flesh those out for us this morning. So starting in verse 31. And he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were all astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority." Okay, let's stop there. Jesus is traveling now to Capernaum by foot to, uh, from Nazareth, and it says, going down. We, we often think that's south, right? But really, Nazareth is up on a hill, and it's higher above sea level. So it's actually the describing he's going downhill, but he's actually going north to Capernaum. And he recently just escaped a group of people trying to murder him off by pushing him off a cliff. So he is leaving his hometown, has four days to travel, and I just wonder what is on his mind. He just jumped into ministry, just started preaching, teaching in synagogues, and he just, tried, he just almost got killed. <laughs> I just wonder what those thoughts he had, those talks he had with God on that journey. And Capernaum is set alongside the Sea of Galilee. It's a very strategic location and we find out later that this is gonna be Jesus's ministry hub. We find that many of his miracles happen here in Capernaum and he draws from a pool of people out of Capernaum to be his disciples and followers. But I want us to notice the contrast between Nazareth and Capernaum, specifically, the reactions that the people had. Both groups of people from two different cities had similar reactions to Jesus' teaching. They were astonished, they were amazed. They were like, this man can speak. He, He has a voice that commands authority. But what is different is that what happens afterward could almost be completely opposite in his hometown Eventually, he's been met by hostility, trying to get killed. But here in Capernaum, the community seems to receive him. I want to take a pause and mention that I want us to know something between these two audiences and how it relates to us. Some people tend to see you only for who you were and not who you're becoming. There are some people in your life, friends and family, who cannot see who you are actually becoming, but hold you in your past, because that's all they know. Jesus was raised in Nazareth, and the people there only knew him as Jesus's, as Joseph's son, the carpenter. And so when Jesus goes up and steps up to the synagogue and teaches, they just can't see who he's actually becoming. They only see him as Joseph's son. They lack the imagination and openness to the reality that God changes people. He's changing you and I. So what I would want to say is surround yourself with people who see you for who you're becoming, not who you were. Surround yourself with people who are going to challenge you to be better. To drive you back to scripture, drive you back to the word and your relationship with God because it's God who's gonna be changing you and transforming you for your future. So here we have Jesus leaving Nazareth, never to see it again. That's what was profound for me is realizing that this was the last time that Jesus is gonna step foot in Nazareth. He's leaving his past behind him. He makes the hike down to Capernaum and puts that past behind him and steps into his future. And they were all amazed and said to one another what is this word for with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region so here in the synagogue something unexpected happens a man gets up and starts yelling at jesus with a loud voice I, i just wonder like was it just clear to Jesus that this man was demon-possessed? Like, I just wonder, who in the room, were people just, I think people were caught off guard. But I'm not sure if anyone else in the room was like, this man's demon-possessed. I'm not sure what gave it away, but all we know is, the reality is, this man was possessed by an unclean spirit. And Jesus noticed it. And I want to, take a pause here as well because I think it's safe to assume here that we really don't aren't really familiar with demon possession okay sometimes we read past this part nonchalantly it's like oh yeah this man was demon possessed but not realizing the tension in this situation I mean at best we know what demon oppression looks like or obsession, let me explain. Oppression is when you would experience physical attacks or sleep disturbances, including regular nightmares, frequent and severe illnesses, and maybe even major depression and anxiety. I personally experienced this before. Specifically when I answered the call to ministry, I felt some spiritual oppression in my life. I've spoken to many of our youth, and what they describe sounds and confirms to me that this is some type of spiritual oppression in their life, and we pray for them. There's demonic oppression, or obsession, and this goes to the next level, where someone is experiencing extreme difficulty just to function normally in life, and they're frequently thinking about the demonic thoughts and how controlling them and it's and it's frequently even thoughts of suicide and sleep at this point is just impossible for them Anna Lou and I have known a couple of people like this and it's dreadful it's it's awful and at this point it's sometimes we're just like we don't know what to do except pray but it's important to note that these attributes that I'm describing here do not all need to be attributed to demonic intervention or demonic forces or whatever. Sometimes it's just ourselves. Okay. Because we do not want to give the demonic realm more power than it really has because it really has none. But here we have the demon trying to intimidate Jesus by speaking up loud and also naming him and saying, I know who you are. In the demonic realm, when you know the name of a demon, it disengages it, and that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to have a reversal of power over Jesus. And this reality that the demon knows who Jesus is, gives us a, it reveals a really unsettling truth, is that you can know Jesus to be God, but still be his enemy. It's not enough for you to say that you know Jesus, you know that he's God, but you have not placed your faith, trust, and allegiance in him as your personal Lord and savior. The demons know who Jesus is, okay? They have not placed their allegiance in him. They respond to someone else. And at this point, when the demon speaks in the crowd of the synagogue, Jesus does not let him speak anymore. And he rebukes him. A former pastor of mine showed me an illustration of what that really kind of looks like for us to get the point of what rebuke is. And it's this it's really just to like choke the enemy out. A definition would be to express sharp disapproval. And here, Jesus displays how much he disapproves this demon taking up residence in this man's body. Gives him no more voice and rebukes him to get out. Now, comparative to the method that the Jewish people understood, understood what exorcism looked like, this was like... This, is, this was simple, this was effective, because doing research about this, the exorcism steps usually follow like a six-step method, okay, so just hang in with, with me. So first, you need to find a devout religious man if you're gonna perform an exorcism. Usually, that would be a rabbi, and if not, at the very least, you'd find a physician. And then you would have to next have a purifi- purification ritual with water and oil, you'd have to get ready. And then you would have to invite a minimum of nine men to come along with you, just so you would meet the ritual quorum of 10 men. And then the next step would be that you would go to the person who has been possessed, and you would undergo a diagnostic of this possessed person. You would have to note their symptoms. What's their behavior like? Are there bruises, marks on their body? etc you'd even take a personal history of him and or her and their family and then oddly they would interview the demon and the whole goal of this diagnostic process was to find out the demon's motivation and to figure out its name once you figure out the name you can intimidate it and then the next step begins where it's the removal process and so it it goes where the rabbi would just give verbal threats to the demon verbally, just threatening it, rebuking it, and even physically beating the person thinking they're beating out the demon. Otherwise, they would sometimes submerse this person in water to near drowning to scare the demon out. There's so many weird things, guys. They would shove smelly roots up people's noses thinking they would scare the demon off or fumigate the place with smoke or sulfur. My favorite is play music, right? It's like King David played the harp for Solomon to calm his demon. And the goal here of removal was to scare the demon out by intimidation. And the final step would be assess the exit. The successful exorcism would involve that a person's behavior radically changes or they would leave some type of mark. Oddly enough, it would be either like a bloody fingernail or a bloody toenail. To believe that's where the entry point and exit point of where the demon came in. But Jesus's method. I don't, don't want us to get hanged up on that. Because that, it's weird, interesting. But I want us to think about what Jesus does. Jesus does not give the demon a voice. Does not le- let him speak. <clears throat> and he rebukes it. Commands it to leave. I'm just... I'm, the crowd there has just got to be like, what is this? This guy can just command a demon and it will be gone. Jesus didn't approve of the demon inside this man's body. And he showed it the exit by silencing it and commanding it to leave. With a word. All right. Let's, let's move on. The story just gets better here. So 38 to 41. <clears throat> After the synagogue, it says, "And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and she appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and, the, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who were uh, any of them were any who were sick or with various diseases were brought to him." And he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But Jesus rebuked them and would not let them speak, because they knew who he was as the Christ. So here, after this eventful moment, Jesus is just looking to get away into a home, probably relax a little bit. And Peter, who at this point has been, not, hasn't been, asked to, been following Jesus yet, has his mother-in-law there and she is sick. And as a good doctor, Luke notices something that the other authors of the gospels don't. She had a high fever. This was serious. This wasn't just like your fever and it's gonna go away. This is a high fever. And again, Jesus uses a similar method, just like with the demon. Jesus wastes no time, goes to mother-in-law and doesn't let the condition have a voice. Doesn't let what other people are saying in the room distract him. He goes straight to the mother-in-law and rebukes the fever. He doesn't let the diagnosis speak. Sometimes we let our diagnoses speak louder than the truth of God's word. I remember when... I I first heard that my dad had cancer. It was so hard not to let that voice of that diagnosis ruin me. But just the word cancer feels like it changes everything. It rocks your imagination because you start thinking about a future that doesn't really exist quite yet and may never will. But if we let the diagnosis speak and let it have a voice in our life, sometimes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And we get scammed into believing it. Jesus doesn't let this fever have a voice in the mother-in-law's future. Instead, he goes to her bedside and rebukes that fever. And the response of the community of Capernaum is remarkable. They bring all their sick, all their diseased, all their demon-possessed to Jesus. Jesus didn't go to the sick. They found him. They found him. And Jesus laid hands on every one of them, it says, and healed them. Jesus is our Deliverer. I want you guys to hear that. Jesus is our Deliverer. He is our Healer. It was foretold in Psalms 103, 2, and 3. He forgives all your sins and heals all of your diseases. Also in Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. By His wounds, we are healed. In this story, we've observed that Jesus does not approve of demons and diseases taking up residence in anybody. He shows them the exit. He shows them by letting them not have have a voice, rebuking them with authority. And I'm just wondering, after hearing this and reading this story, is your method going to change after observing how God disapproves, how Jesus disapproves of demons and sickness? Because I believe you will answer no if you remain in denial that there is a spiritual world a war occurring as we speak. And I believe your answer will be yes if you realize that we have been called to expand the kingdom of God and be light in dark places. I heard this quote a while ago, taking a leadership course, and it just rocked me a little bit and kind of disturbed me, was that you promote what you permit. You promote what you permit. So the things that you let go, that you let slip by, is really the thing that you promote. If we're not hard on sickness, if we're not hard on diseases and, and demons, what does that say about what we think about them? They have no place in the kingdom of God, nor in heaven. If there's one weapon I wish to equip you with in this battle, is the name of Jesus. I was taught by my father and I teach my kids is that if you come into a situation where you feel some type of oppression, when you don't have an answer for a diagnosis, you speak the name of Jesus. You say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is so powerful. It's so powerful which this blows my mind is that you Jesus even says that some are casting out demons using the name of Jesus, but when they come into heaven, Jesus says, I don't even know you. That's how powerful the name of Jesus is, is that unbelievers can use it and can cast out demons. That's just a side note of how powerful the name of Jesus is. But I challenge you that with the one weapon you have is use the name of Jesus to speak it into your illnesses, your diseases, the oppression, and combat it with prayer. Showed the demons and the disease the exit as Jesus did. So with this time, I want to wrap up with a time of prayer. And I want you guys to have a moment of thinking of someone in your life, or it could be yourself, where you need to speak the name of Jesus, where you need to say, Jesus, I need you to come as my healer. Now, I I know this rocks a tension in some people's life because the reality is is that we live in in the in-between between now and a kingdom that's not quite yet. So sometimes the healing doesn't come. Sometimes the sickness doesn't leave or the cancer wins, or whatever. So I understand this tension when we talk about sickness and healing. But I think it would be foolish of us to use our experience, human experience, to change the theology and the truth that God is our healer. The, I remember someone had a, um, a person that I, uh, I, I met um, had, is deaf, okay? He's deaf in one ear. And he grew up in a community and a church that was all about signs and wonders and healings. And his dad was the lead pastor. And this guy was prayed thousands of times to be healed of his deaf ear. And he would constantly tell his dad, encouraging him, that he is one day closer. Because the reality is, if we don't see the healing today, it's going to come in our future when we're in heaven. So each one of us here is one day closer to seeing that full restoration, that full healing. So let's use that as a reminder as we have a time of prayer here for people Um, that are on our hearts, on our minds, um, realizing that Jesus is our healer. He truly is. And so let's just bow our heads right now. I want you to think of somebody in your life that needs a touch from God, needs to be healed or delivered. And I want you to either whisper that name or say it in your mind. And just offer up a short, simple prayer, asking God to come and heal, come and deliver. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you're interested in learning more about Lincoln E-Free Church here in the Lincoln Lakes area, you can go check out our website, lincolnefree.org, and you can give us a follow on Facebook. Have a great week.